0: Welcome back to the ADMS podcast. I'm Natalie Campbell, and in this episode, we're revisiting a session from the 2023 International Conference on Automated Decision-Making and Chinese Societies, which was held at RMIT University on the 1st to the 3rd of February. This session, titled Legality and Discourse on AI, includes three presentations. Heyman G from the US Military Academy discusses Credit for Compliance, how institutional layering ensures compliance in China.
1: So happy to be here. Um, I did just land from New York, but um, I'm very good at sleeping on planes. And so I'm I'm energized to be here with you all in person. And I'm very honored to be the first um, panelist um, on the first day of the conference. So thank you for for inviting me. Thank you for um, having me here. All right, so um, I'm excited to talk to you today about my, um, this is from my dissertation and my book project. Um, This is a presentation titled Credit for Compliance, how institutional layering ensures compliance in China. And so I'm sure I don't have to tell anyone in this crowd that the um, social credit system in China has been regarded as this tool of surveillance, um, as a form of control, as a way to sort of judge and rate um, More than the 1.4 billion citizens who live in China, and that's very much sort of the image that the Western media has put on China's social credit system. But when we look at how China's social credit system has been actually implemented at local levels, we find that actually the social credit system targets firms. So, for example, a bakery in Yiwu, China, was punished for violating trash disposal regulations. A firm in Hangzhou was punished for um, violating fire safety regulations. And we see that many of these firms are actually punished for um, rule violations. So things like failure to comply with tax laws, traffic violations, violations of environmental regulations, et cetera. And so this practice of the social credit system in actuality at the local levels sort of begs the question of why create an entirely new institution like the social credit system to address violations of existing rules and regulations that should um, supposedly be uh, under existing institutions, right? And so to sort of preview my answer, I argue that the social credit system is used to improve compliance with existing regulations and laws without empowering existing um, institutions. And I'll get to what I mean by that in a little bit. And we know that um, in China, the sort of regulation problems and regulation failures are more salient to the Chinese public. So here, more than 70% of Chinese um, citizens believe that regulation failures relating to safety of medicine, safety of food, pollution um, are big problems in China. And we know that this has increased over time. And we also know from previous literature that the institutions that are designed to address these types of regulation failures have actually not addressed them, right? So we know that um, courts suffer from information blind spots, they suffer from weak enforcement, Um, regulatory agencies um, were concerned about fragmented authority structures that impede sort of the effective uh, regulation. And um, at the local level, we're sometimes worried about local state capture, that local interests um, sort of hinder uh, the effective regulation um, of these industries or effective implementation of laws and regulations. And this points to general principal agent problems, information asymmetries that we know are ubiquitous in the Chinese bureaucracy. And so I believe that this points to a greater sort of dilemma for autocrats, which is that autocrats want to secure compliance with their laws. They want to regulate economic players. They want to impose social order. And one sort of answer to this dilemma is to uh, create or strengthen judicial institutions. But this strategy, creating or strengthening judicial institutions, can actually pose problems for autocratic rule. So courts... um, If given the power to enforce economic regulations or economic laws cannot credibly commit to limit their own power just to that economic realm. Courts can become sites of political contention where activists become empowered and use the law and use the courts as a forum um, for their grievances. And and courts can create a new class of elites, like lawyers and judges, that could become potential regime challengers. And so actually, this um, strategy of strengthening uh, existing judicial institutions could pose real problems for the autocrat. And so um, this greater sort of autocratic dilemma is that autocrats want to enforce laws and regulate markets but it can be quite dangerous to empower the courts so how can we how can autocrats increase compliance and regulation without undertaking very risky sort of political reform Um, And I argue that autocrats engage in this particular um, context in institutional layering. And institutional layering is the creation of new institutions that share the same goals as existing institutions, that address the functional gaps of existing institutions, the problems of existing institutions, but crucially allow autocrats to increase regulation without the danger of mobilization against the state. And so I argue that the social credit system is an example of the strategy of institutional layering. So why implement the social credit system in this particular instance? So the first advantage is that it addresses the weaknesses of existing institutions, um, mainly through two functions. The first is an information consolidating function, um, and then an additional punitive function. So the social credit system can levy additional fines, it can limit access to government services and capital, and then um, in some cases it can shut down the commercial activity of uh, violators. And then the second crucial uh, advantage of the social credit system is that it has low potential for political mobilization. So there's no development of professional elites such as lawyers or judges. There's no democratic symbolism or rhetoric um, the way there is um, attached to the courts, even in a regime um, Even in an autocratic regime and no independent source of power in that the social credit system does depend on the functions of other institutions in order to do uh, in order to complete its functions. And so if the social credit system, like I argue, is an example of institutional layering, then we might um, expect to see certain observations, right? So we might expect that the social credit system could increase law enforcement without empowering the courts, right? That's the crucial sort of um uh crucial sort of motivation for the social credit system. And so the observable implications that follow is that the social credit system should selectively target rule violators, rather than sort of targeting everyone. Um, It should improve implementation and enforcement of law, but it should not lead to increased political oversight of local officials by the courts. so it should not be strengthening the courts. Um, So one sort of data source that I use are these blacklists, um, which are public lists of violators shared across agencies. So I scraped over 70,000 entries from four pilot cities that are implementing the social credit system. Um, And I collected variables such as the agency that submitted the blacklist entry, the target um, that was blacklisted, the reason for why the target was blacklisted, and then the punishment given. And so if we're looking at the first question, the first observable implication of does the social credit system selectively target rule violators, um, we wanna sort of see, okay, who is being targeted under this blacklist system? And so here I'm just simply showing you the um, sort of percentage of entries from these blacklists that are about individuals. And that those uh, the percentage of blacklists that are about firms, and so we see that in about in three of the four pilot cities, um, there are almost no uh, blacklist entries about individuals. Um, They're almost all exclusively about firms, um, except for in the case of Hangzhou, and then in that case, um, all of the individuals on that blacklist are those um, who did not comply with court orders. So another sort of um, way we could think about whether the social credit system targets violators of existing laws and regulations is to look at the reason why they were punished, right? So what is the reason for being blacklisted, put on these blacklists? Um, And here, I'm just simply gonna show you the most common reasons why an entry is blacklisted. So for 13% of blacklist entries, it was failing to cancel registration of old vehicles. So if any of you have not been to the, to your, to the your equivalent of the DMV, that's sort of why you would be blacklisted. Um, 10% were not meeting gas usage standards. Uh, 9% were contract disputes, false tax invoices, violating fire laws, intellectual property um, violations. But all of these point to sort of existing rules, existing regulations, um, and that these firms were blacklisted because they violated existing existing rules, not new ones. Um, I, I also examined this a little bit more systematically because um, one of the pilot cities blacklists contained larger. Um, sort of longer explanations for why an entry was blacklisted, so I was able to run some structural topic modeling um, and I ran a structural topic model with 25 topics um, with the submitting agency as a control variable. Um, And we find, again, that firms enter the blacklist for violating existing laws and regulations. So 39% of the blacklist entries were for um, violating public safety regulations, 35% were about market regulations, and 23% were for violating bureaucratic regulations. Okay. So, I've argued that the social credit system is a case of institutional layering. And if so, we should see that there is some improvement of outcomes, so, improvement of law enforcement without simultaneous empowerment of the courts. Um, And so I will sort of take you through number two, observable implication number two and three. And the data I'm gonna use here is um, going to, uh, or the strategy I'm gonna use is I'm gonna compare cities that implemented the social credit system with those that do not using a difference in differences research design. And so pilot cities began implementation around 2016 and 2017, and I'm using panel data. So my hypotheses are that pilot cities will have better enforcement of laws and regulations, but that pilot cities will not have greater political oversight of local officials from the courts compared to non-pilot cities. So how am I going to get this sort of data, right? So I use this um, annual assessment report on China's law-abiding government published by China, China University of Political Science and Law. This data set includes 100 cities, um, including 26 pilot cities, so 84 non-pilot cities, and the data runs from 2014 to 2018, so I'm getting data both um, the pilot cities and non-pilot cities before implementation of the social credit system and after. And this data set contains a lot of variables, um, eight major categories, and they um, add up to a thousand points. But what we're really interested in are two variables from this data set, which is the implementation and enforcement of law category um, and the political oversight category. So So the city's score on these two dimensions. And so the first dependent variable is a city score on the implementation and enforcement of law category divided by the total possible number of points for that category. And then the second dependent variable is a city score on the political oversight category, again, divided by the total possible number of points. I'm using an event study analysis here. So the betas um, are binary variables that take on a value of one. If it's a pilot city three years before implementation, two years before implementation, and so on and so forth with city and fixed uh, city and year fixed effects. Um, okay, so on the x-axis are the years prior and post implementation of the social credit system. On the y-axis are the coefficient estimates on the betas I just showed you. Okay, so before implementation of the social credit system, we see that the coefficient estimates on those um, betas that I showed you in the in the long equation, they are um, statistically insignificant. Um, But after implementation, we do see that pilot cities experience an increase on the score. Right. And in the. Um, in the third year of implementation, by year two on the x-axis, um, this is a 10 percentage point increase. and about um, the average is 0.55. So that's 17% of the mean, which is not a um, not an insignificant increase in their score. But if we're looking at political oversight, right? So this is a variable that captures whether courts have the ability to really have oversight over local officials. We're seeing that um, prior to implementation, the coefficient estimates are negative and statistically insignificant. um, And they continue to be um, statistically insignificant even after implementation of the social credit system. In the first year, they're even actually slightly negative, but that washes out in, in later years. Okay, so the difference in differences analysis is telling us that the social credit system, you know, I've argued that it's a case of institutional layering. Um, is it an effective institution? The diff and diff analysis might um, suggest that yes, it is improving while implementation and enforcement in, a, in one sense. Um, is it an effective autocratic institution? Again, we might think that yes, it's it's not strengthening the courts or increasing political oversight of the courts over local officials. So to sum up um, very quickly, um, I argue that autocrats face a legal dilemma: that they want to secure compliance, they want to regulate economic actors, they want in, they want to induce general sort of rule-following behavior among its public, but they want to do all of that in the absence of strong legal institutions. And so, one solution um, to the sort of uh, legal dilemma of autocrats is to engage in institutional layering. And I've argued that, the, that China's social credit system is an example of this type of strategy, that it targets rule violators, not everyone, um, that it has information consolidating and punitive functions, and that it um, attempts to gain compliance without strengthening existing legal institutions.
0: We will now hear from Fan Yang from the University of Cologne, presenting Strengthening Efficiency, Consistency and Supervision, Provincial Pilots of Judicial AI and Big Data in China.
2: So, uh, yeah, today I'm not only going to talk about AI, but yeah, uh, AI and big data in Chinese courts, uh, like the Chinese term, it's smart courts, we call it 智慧法院. And I'm going to show you how Chinese, uh, how uh, technology or AI and big data is empowering Chinese courts. And um, so, uh, my presentation today is a brief introduction to Chinese smart courts, and it mainly answers the following two questions: uh, What purposes do AI and big data serve in the Chinese courts? And the second question is, how do they serve those purposes? Or how are they used at SMART course? I will use some Case studies based on recent development to answer this question, and before I presenting those case studies, I want to I want you all know that smart courts it's still a very experimental project. It's a project that is initiated by the Supreme People's Court, but there's no uh, unified, systematic the national system for this. Uh, the Supreme People's Court just put the idea there and encourage all the courts, all the local courts around the country to present their own ideas and build their own systems using technologies. So uh, yeah, case studies are based on those cases. There's no unified system, yeah. Um, So yeah, uh, firstly, I would love to put the answers to the first question directly here using some keywords. So there are three purposes of using technology, using AI and big data in Chinese courts. Firstly to boost efficiency and consistency around the country uh, secondly to improve the supervision towards judges and thirdly to enhance the courts ability to monitor to monitor and to supervise the society uh yeah that is uh give you a hint about the keywords of my speech today and it's also important to know during what process they are adopted uh during uh, uh in the process of the case trial so uh in the design of smart course big data and artificial intelligence are integrated into four major application scenarios uh namely case trial uh enforcement of judgment, uh, which only exists in uh, the um, civil civil cases and judicial management and um, the public service, the judicial service to the public. And my presentation today mainly involves the first three scenarios and different scenarios also reflect different purposes. yeah, and here I want to show you how it's designed to boost efficiency and consistency. It's reflected the most during the case trial process. And among the above four scenarios, case trial is the major focus, of course, uh, because smart course is mainly for the case trial, where AI and the big data are offering assistance to judges during the case trial procedure. And from current practice across the country, uh, there are three typical applications or three typical functions when it comes to increasing efficiency and consistency, uh, which are similar case recommendations, decision assistance or decision prediction, and deviation warning. So uh, I'm gonna show you some pictures. This is an example of the first function, similar case recommendation. Uh, Sorry, this is in Chinese, but I will explain to you. And um, as the name implies, it means the recommendation of cases that are most similar to the case the judge is handling. So the main criteria for determining whether a case is similar are the circumstances of this case, the applicable law and the focus of the dispute. This function is a module that is almost necessary for all smart court systems across the country, which mainly contains functions such as quick search and automatic pushing of similar cases, and can further include the recommendation of other things such as applicable articles, the focus of the dispute, and the main evidence in similar cases. This function is done by extracting the circumstances of the case, finding the cases with the most similar circumstances in the database and recommending them to the judge. So when the the judge is dealing uh, with a case, um, the system will push a case or several cases that is most similar to the case the judge is uh, processing right now to them uh, and hoping the judges can use them as a reference. That is what this function is for. And yeah, um, here comes the second function, decision assistance prediction or decision prediction. Here we can use the Jiangsu, uh, a platform in Jiangsu uh, which is called the Jiangsu alert platform as an example decision assistance at this platform consists of two aspects. On the one hand, for each criminal case, um, the alert platform pushes out the recommended sentencing result. It automatically identifies the key uh, circumstances, then comes into prediction model, uh, and comes up with a recommended sentencing result according to the Optimal decision tree based on the existing algorithms. So as we can see from the pictures, um when uh, when the system reads all the documents that you put in the system, it automatically gives you a suggestion, okay, how much how many years you should we suggest you put to put this person in prison and yeah it gives the judge a recommendation, mainly based on the algorithm, based on the machine computing, um, which is also from learning from similar cases and former cases. This is how these functions work, uh, works. And uh, the system in Jiangsu only works in uh, criminal cases, but I also read from their report that Jiangsu wants to build a similar Uh, systems for civil cases and administrative cases so they have the ambition to expand the cover of this system. and uh, okay, another function is alert for deviations. So this function is directed uh, at monitoring adjudicated cases. Some systems compare the actual outcome with the predictive sent- uh, predicted sentencing outcome to calculate the degree of deviation. When the judge makes a uh, deciding the judgment document, uh, the system can capture this judgment and warn of high deviation. Uh, Also using big data visualization to explain to the judge the reasons for this high deviation through the distribution of similar cases and the analysis of the deviation status of the verdict. For example, from this picture on the left side, it's not very clear, but you can say there was like a 40% deviation. Uh, which is based on the uh, calculation from this system as like, okay, so your decision now is 40% deviated from our recommended ones. Do you want to stick to it or not? Uh, Yeah. And the um, in the middle is a comparison between your sentencing with the predicted sentencing. And uh, on the right side, of this chart, it basically shows what the other similar cases, uh, what their um, results are compared to yours. Uh, yeah this is this function and uh, yeah overall this type of uh, algorithmic analysis it's seen as a way to speed up judicial decision making and help judges to decide like cases alike this is the Chinese term for consistency in the judicial system Uh, we call it which means decide like cases alike it has been a goal for the judicial reform for the, the the for a few years and although the judge would return discretion to disregard the about functions uh, there are research from uh, cornell law school in law and psychology suggests that the reference could anchor decisions Numeric anchors, such as a sentence recommended, indeed can influence judicial decision-making. Since in China, judges are typically pressed for time and facing litigation explosion and reluctant, they're reluctant to take responsibility for a decision that strays from the norm. So this anchoring effect might even be stronger. In practice, what is billed as computer assistant judging is very likely to each the Chinese course towards a world in which the judges seek to align their decisions with an outcome recommended by an algorithm. Um, So yeah, in the end, the judges will tend to follow the machine more and more. uh, That is what I can see from uh, the current practices. And uh, okay, that was the first purpose we were talking about, increasing consistency and efficiency. And here I will show you the second purpose I um, uh, I have been researching to improve oversight of judges, which is during the judicial management. And I will use two uh, examples to explain this. So the first example is a system in Henan province. Using big data profiling to uh, uh, assess um, judges' performance. So, Curse in Henan have set up a smart portrait system which includes portraits of the judges assistants and clerks other working stuff but here we only talk about the judges uh, in this system our every judge's profile can be reached it usually displays the judge's name gender department your position and your performance so what kind of performance uh, we can take a look from the left side, the left bottom, there was uh, there were a lot of bars, as you can see, which is a ranking of the uh, judges uh, based on the number of cases handled, the number of cases closed by each judge uh, by each judge. So the system rank judges based on how many cases you deal with. And um, in the middle uh, in the middle part, It uh, calculates uh, the cases um, each judge or the whole court have closed uh, every month, every day, or every year, and also compares the uh, changes. For example, okay... um, it can compare the past week and showing, oh, okay, maybe the cases you are dealing with is increasing or is decreasing. Uh, If it's decreasing, it means, okay, so we are dealing with less and less cases now. Maybe we are getting slow. We need to speed up. Uh, And on the uh, right part, It's an office productivity um, function. It refers to the number of documents or materials sent and received by the judge. So um, what this basically means is if the number of documents or number of materials you sent and received um, is increasing, that means you are more productive. Um, that is um the logic the system was based on and we can say this is, this system is very efficiency uh oriented so um it's uh basically fa- uh, are more in favor of efficiency indicators more than anything else uh so yeah this is an example of how Chinese courts are using big data profiling to assess judges' work, and of course, this kind of information is not public. They are only visible to the court officials or, uh, to the uh, uh to the court officials or to the upper level court, and uh, not to the public. And uh, there is another example, uh, of how um. Uh, of how it, it's used to increase the supervision towards judges. This is an example of automated courtroom room inspection system uh which uh empowers the court in herbei to monitor all the court hearing videos across the whole province uh and um uh through uh this is in herbei province so it automatically it automatically checks whether cases are being heard digitally, whether every court session is being recorded, and whether court sessions are being held according to the scheduled time. And um, it has some very interesting functions as well. It can detect and uh, uh, warn when it's possibly find out some irregular or unprofessional or aberrant behaviors of the ju- of judges during a court hearing for example and in this picture uh like there are four phrases Chinese phrases on the bottom for example um if it can detect a uh, uh, irregular outfit and professional outfit or we say improper outfit, and so if the judge is wearing something improper, then the system can detect it. And if the judge leave, left early from the court hearing, or there is a, like you just fall down um out of nowhere, which could be read as a sign of uh, the litigation party to start fighting or uh, uh, I guess being sick. Mm, Yeah, I haven't found further information on why this is included in the design of the system. I will try to find more. And um, there are also some other interesting detection functions. Uh, It's not shown in this picture, um, but I can explain to you. So there is also a head down position detection which means um, judges are not allowed to keep their head down for a long period of time during a court hearing. So if you keep your head down for a very long time, I don't know how long is long by the, uh, will be regarded as long by the system. But if you keep your head down for a long time, then the system will detect it and send the screenshot to the the CURTA facials, which because uh, if you keep your head down for a long time, it could be read as a sign that uh, the judges might be taking a nap or uh, or playing with their mobile phones. Um, Yeah, this is the logic. this system is based on, uh, yeah and also uh can detect uh, behaviors such as smoking or drinking yeah um Anyang, so, yeah, could you is... start wrapping up thank you okay yeah 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 okay i will wrapping up in 2 minutes so um the third, the another function is to enhance the curse ability to monitor society and diffuse social uh conflicts which there are three functions uh, three focuses uh, so uh, AI and big data are used to identify certain cases that the current uh, system is um, paying extra attention on. For example, important cases or sensitive cases, uh, or cases that uh, influence social stability. And um, technology is used to, uh, is used to identify those cases from normal cases, and um, Yeah, and also big data is used to help the is used to increase the Kurds' ability to help the idea, help the government identify social issues uh, and help them doing decision making. For example, it analyzes the features or uh, of mafia crime or other crimes like where are they usually uh, located in the country who are usually the victims who are usually the um, criminals and uh, what kind of features do those cases have so uh, it helps the government to do decision making and uh, yeah uh, this would be very long and uh, I will skip this yeah and uh, that is my presentation thank you
0: Now, lastly, Yuen Li from Hong Kong Baptist University discusses the topic, Making Governance Agile, exploring the role of artificial intelligence in China's local governance.
3: The title of my topic is, that, uh, is Making Governments Agile, exploring the role of the AI in China's local governance. So over the past two decades, so governments around the world has recognized the significance of accelerating digital transformation. So with the emergence of the AI, governments have gone beyond merely digitalizing front end services and have begun to presume uh, government has the platform and the agile development of digital service. So such initiatives aim to fundamentally re-engineer government operations, processes, and the system. So we know that AI refers to the simulation of the human intelligence linked to the development of uh, algorithmic models that automatically work and learn by themselves through the inputs developed by humans. So it is an integral part of the information revolution, the pillar of the agile governance. So scholars believe that uh, uh, AI has the potential to help the government provide seamless public service delivery, generate greater public value from data, and achieve agility. So previous research has discussed the applications and the challenges of using AI in public sectors and whether its configuration increases citizen Mm, satisfaction. So yet we know little about how AI affects local governments, especially the advances that AI supported services for the public sector in local governments has ventured. So this is the research questions I uh, tries to answer in this uh, project. So I address this gap by examining the deployment of AI technology in the local governments of Shenzhen, so a pilot city of digital transformation in China. So before we go to the research uh, design part, uh, let's Uh, first to talk about the related literature. The related literature falls into two strands of the literature, the government digital transformation, GAAP and GL governance, and the rise of the AI in the public sector. So previous studies on GAAP government as a platform discuss the principles and the concepts of the processes and the challenges associated with the GAAP. So, however, there is little empirical evidence. So most of the previous literature focuses on the nascent stage of the GAAP, such as the motivation and the drivers um, of participation, and the platforms that mediate between citizens and the government. The limited number of studies that have been conducted in these areas highlight the government-backed nature and the orchestrating role in GAAP based on the experiences of some pioneering uh, countries such as the United Kingdom, the the US, Italy and Russia. Uh, So so while the GAAP not only indicates the architecture uh, of transparent participatory and collaborative government, it also generates a public sector reform that requires an agile working approach uh, in public administration. So the agile working approach and or uh, agile governance as a driver to achieve. To achieve GAAP contrasts agility with the traditional waterfall working approach to follow rigid plan and implements project in strict sequential orders. So. Current discussion on, agi- uh, uh, on agility mainly focuses on the national government's principles and the strategies in introducing the agile approach into the public sectors. So the next se- sector of the related literature is the rise of the AI in the public sectors. <clears throat> As a key to AI, algorithms are the building blocks that will help the public sector achieve efficient, low cost, and neutral solutions and harness big data. While introducing AI into public management challenges traditional bureaucratic principles and the bureaucrat's discretionary power, scholars use the term algorithmic bureaucracy to describe new bureaucratic systems strengthened by smart technology and highlight the complex role of AI in assisting citizens with their service needs and helping stuff, uh, frontline staffs. So uh, however, most of the previous research uh, in this part, in this field is normative and exploratory based on the experience of developed countries most exploration of ai uh, uh in developed countries uh, rather than the developing country uh, experiences so so uh, my research will uh, contribute to this field uh, this field so in this in this project uh, i use uh, uh mixed sequential research design that combines topical modeling and qualitative analysis to explore our research questions. So we start with uh, LDA methods to enrich analysis, uh, which was rigorous without uh, human bias. So here is a sequential research design uh, involves the following uh, steps. First, I first crowd policy documents that were composed and published by Shenzhen government agencies on AI. Uh, from the government website uh, between 2016 to two, uh, 2022. And then identify the policy documents uh, related to AI, then we remain about 103 documents. And then I conduct the topical modeling analysis with the qualitative analysis to try to find the different dimensions uh, that the government focus on the uh, AI topics in uh, AI configuration in public sectors. So this figure, uh, we use the LDA topical modeling to an, uh, analyze the content of the policy documents uh, extracted from the original policy pool. So these figures are recognized by the intertopic distance map. Uh, it visualizes how similar or distinct the the topics are and the relative size of the topics. So here, the size of each bubble represents the frequencies, and the locations of the bubbles demonstrates uh, topic similarities. So here you can see that uh, uh, mostly the the government focus on the nine topics, uh, including the building integrated digital government platforms, uh, organizational support for the uh, digital government transformation, etc. So these figures shows uh, these tables shows the detail the keywords of the nine dominant topics are from the most to least important. So we then qualitatively analyze both of the uh, both the constituents words and the policy statement relating to these topics and then identify the three dimensions that the government uh, focus uh, focus on the AI configuration in the public uh, in the public sector, uh, which is the data in, uh, integration, the policy innovation, and smart uh, collaboration and, uh, and smart uh, applications. So then I use uh, two complex uh, cases uh, to elaborate how the government focus on uh, these four dimensions to, 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 to do the digital uh, transformation. The first case is a uh, uh, un- uh, unified management in one network. Uh, launched in the by the Ping Shan government, uh, district uh, district government. So in 2019, the Ping district government in Shenzhen built a unified management in one network platform. So it is called the platform. It but actually it's in essentially work like a terminal. It combines online and offline public service delivery, integrates various types of the data across functional agencies within the public sector, and assemble both public demands and the demands from the private sectors. So the uh, the first dimension, data integration. So the one network platform integrated previously, or all of the pre- previously reporting and complaint channels into the smart terminal. So with the help of the AI, the terminal analyzes and processes all the information synthetically. So based on the integrated data and analysis and the AI algorithms, So the platform can smartly assign tasks to the relevant functional agencies and the frontline workers. Once these tasks have been distributed to the agencies and their workers, the frontline workers must take responsibility of these tasks and work out a solution before a deadline set by the terminal. So the terminal will issue a warning if a task is not completed online so during the in the course of the task uh, processing, the platform records all the frontline workers' procedures and actions. So this recorded data will contribute to the future data analysis and the algorithmic, algorithmic design. So thus, uh, the AI's data integration function will solve the bar passing uh, problems among government agencies and the breaking through the, 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 the fragmented Bureaucracy. Okay, sorry. Yeah. Okay, so the, 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 the next dimension is collaboration. So this platform has not only connected the front-end services user and back-end government workers, it also has ability to learn from the continuous real-time data inputs and adjust its response. Accordingly, uh, intensifying government citizen collaborations, all the processes and their interactions are intuitive. So eh, here uh, here I will skip these uh, slides because of the, 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 the time limits. And uh, in this case, we can show that the AI builds the functions for data uh for data integration platform that strengthens government citizen collaboration and fuels policy innovation the government agencies that is assigned a task on the platform is responsible for the issue until a solution is found and a 1st assigned responsibility system to 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 ensure the government in this sense the the the, the ai worked as a cage to monitor the older frontline workers uh, older workers by the by the frontline front staffs. And the second case is open data policy lab conducted by the, launched by the Futian government. Uh, Still in 2019, the Futian government in Shenzhen built the open data policy lab. So this lab uh, worked on an alternative way to analyze and uh, co-create solutions for specific issues in the backend of the public sector innovation. So it regularly, regularly release AI application uh, scenarios, provided data equivalent, venues and other testing envi- environment and invited excellent AI institutions to open up uh, to to open up office in Futian to accel- uh, to accelerate the implementation of AI technology in the cities. So here I just give you one uh example. So 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 this is a project from the sandbox uh uh launched uh, from the sandbox launched by the Futian government called the AI government employees. So this uh, this uses the technology combining the R uh, RPA plus AI rober- robots. So this figure displays a simple uh, workflow changes after introducing an RA, RPA plus AI robots to process of the license applications and the filling of the uh, sewage pipe pipe networks. So you can see that previously, the staff had to manually input, input all the information and process, process informations and, process, uh, informations and uh, find, enter, check, scan, print the data and the document. The whole process took nearly 10 minutes and with the help of the, the, the robots uh, now they can the the the, the different stage uh, the different actions such as uh, search check register record print scan etc uh, all of these are done by the robots uh, and a significant increase uh, the working efficiency the whole process nowadays just uh, takes 1 to 2 minutes uh, to 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 finish so the sandbook i will fi- uh, i will finish in 2 minutes thank you so we can see that the sandbox facilitated the collaboration between the government and the high tech knowledge companies and boost the innovations. So the AI robots effectively helps the frontline workers solve the labor shortage problems. So the AI government employees help the window staff shorten their working times and increase their work working efficiency. So in this sense, the AI works as a Colleague to help frontline workers deliver services and uh, make decisions. So, the last slide uh, concludes and discussion. So, so, in this project, uh, by exploring a sequential mixed methods, this study identified four dimensions. Uh, of AI deployment in the public sector uh, in the context of the China, data integration, policy innovation, smart application, and collaboration. So Shenzhen's experience indicates that the primary goals of utilizing AI are to achieve data integration and innovative public service provision at the local level. So I conclude from the case analysis that AI plays two roles in local government, as AI cage that regulates frontline workers' activities and the AI colleague that help frontline workers make decisions. So both function contributes to the local governments by op- optimizing workflows, improving public service provisions, and enabling intensive government citizen collaborations and uh, a little bit uh, discussion, but I will skip uh, these slides because of the time limits. So thank you so much.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of the ADMS podcast. Session recordings from this conference are available on our YouTube channel. Visit admscenter.org slash YouTube.